This is Jim Inkster, and I apologize for my voice today, but uh, we'll make a go of it. And please be patient. And as always, we look forward to hearing from you, and your voice is important, as always, on Talk Louisiana, 877-217-5757, your number, and talk at talklouisiana.org. Our show originates from the Investar Bank Tower in Baton Rouge, and signature support is from East Baton Rouge Parish, Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom. Before we get going, I do want to note that overnight, James Gill, the great writer, a towering columnist for the Picayune and the Advocate, he died of a cardiac arrest. Tyler Bridges, the Pulitzer Prize winner, appropriately wrote the obit for James Gill on Deadline, and it reads, James Gill, who employed his acerbic wit to skewer politicians, and stuffed shirts alike in a local newspaper column for 38 years, died Tuesday just days after suffering a cardiac arrest, according to his son. He was 81. An Englishman who came to the United States in the mid-1970s, Gill wrote more than 4,000 columns for the Times-Picayune and the advocate about crooked elected officials, uptown swells, incompetent bureaucrats, and occasionally the foibles of the British royal family, no one, not even friends, could escape when Gill escaped Gill when he trained his sights on them. Everybody looked forward to reading James Gill's column, unless, of course, he wrote about them or their friends, said Peter Kovacs, the former editor of the newspaper, who edited Gill for more than three decades. He had a great gift for using words as weapons in the war against cronyism, cowardice, and cruelty. So we will miss the great James Gill. Stephanie Grace writes, no one... Like him, indeed. Farewell, old friend. There was no one like him in this town. Gordon Russell says, one of the best at his trade in the U.S., a distinctive, witty, skeptical voice. And Tyler Bridges notes that there was nobody like him as well. So a universal uh, appreciation for a man who made New Orleans his home, came from across the pond, and dead much too soon at the age of 81. Now, if everything goes according to plan, tomorrow on this show, we will hear from the governor, who is slated to be in studio with us. Originally, it was Friday, but the governor has had to pivot. He is a busy guy, and he says he will be here tomorrow in studio to talk about the crime session. And we have two people to begin our show to talk about the crime session, and they have a slightly different perspective than he. But they're twins, the dynamic duo of Angel Bradford and Caitlin Joshua. And they've both been with us, but never together. Angel's 15 minutes older. I'm impressed that they grew up in Baton Rouge, went to Woodlawn High. And despite being so close to one another, Angel went to Ohio State, as Mary Patricia Ray says, the Ohio State University. And Caitlin went to Southern University. But they're both dynamic people and involved in Louisiana politics. Caitlin is a community organizer for Power Coalition. And Angel is with Moms Demand Action. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. It's great to yeah. great to see you. <laughs> yeah. And this is a special treat to have you both here. Yeah, yeah. Identical twins. Identical twins. I just I have glasses, and I'm I'm fatter than Caitlin. So. You're what? I'm generally fatter <laughs> than my sister, and I wear glasses. But other than that, well, you don't look fat. So, Thanks uh, for but that. you. Well, anyway, anyway. <laughs> They light up a room with their smiles, and uh, but you're not smiling about the crime session. No. What, what, what's wrong with the crime session? I'm surprised that we're like here and like 
awake because yesterday I felt like a zombie after that entire marathon day of session. Um, so what's wrong with the session? It's it's you know the stereotypical tough on crime, but it's honestly just punish me punishing for the sake of punishing. And it's people that we know are already vulnerable to the criminal justice system. They're going to be further criminalized, and then it's also reckless such as the permitless carry bill by Senator Blake Migas, Senate Bill 1, that allows for people as young as 18 years old to concealed carry a handgun in the state of Louisiana without a background check, training, or permit. Um, and there's various reasons for why they explain that um, or, or why they propose that, but we're just very much in awe that you would want to give teenagers, essentially, handguns in the state of Louisiana at cr- with crime the way it is already. So, yeah. Caitlin. Yeah, and for me, I think I am most concerned about the amount of uh, just progressive bills that we've passed over the last decade, those being rolled back, as you may have seen. Um, the attempt to lower the age uh, was, one, was of course, up on the, on the docket yesterday um, in terms of trying to make sure that juveniles are uh, tried as adults. Um, and so for us, adultifi- adultification of 16-year-olds is not the way to go, nor does it get to the root causes of what really drives crime in the state of Louisiana. Again, 877-217-5757 and talk at talklouisiana.org. Crime bills advance in committees. That's a headline in the Advocate today. Expanding death penalty, allowing concealed guns without permits. Okay. And I think some people, most people probably uh, pick and choose on these. Some of these may very well need to be addressed. As far as crime, do we have a real problem? I mean, it, it depends on how you're talking about it, right? So crime is at levels we don't love. It's not great. However, the spike in crimes were really in 2021 and 2022. We were starting to see a return to quote unquote normal at the end of 2023. That it was, I was actually researching that ahead of my testimony yesterday. And so this conversation, especially from a governor who was the attorney general, feels very late uh, I said late to the party in my testimony, um, especially because we know that 1990s crime laws do not work. Um, we're just sending more people into prison. And then for the bill Kate was talking about, you're putting teenagers who have to be um, sight and sound. So like d- separate from adults in environments Well, they're just going to learn to become better criminals and not be able to reenter society. Um, so do we have a crime problem? Louisiana has always had issues, right? This country does. And the way that we approach a lot of our language around this is just that um, the United States also is uniquely or is unique in the way in which it has access to guns. We just have a lot more guns on the streets. We have more guns than we have people. And so when there are altercations or like they talk, love to talk about in the legislature, conflict resolution mm-hmm. issues, um, people can quickly grab a gun. And so for a legislature that says that they're concerned or for the Republican Party and this governor who says they're concerned about crime, but then they put bills saying, like, let's give more guns to people. It just is completely um, inconsistent. There are those who believe, though, that the best way to, quote, stop a bad guy with a gun is to have a good guy with a gun. Caitlin, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. And we've seen time and time again, the rate in which someone is able to stop a criminal or someone who is carrying out um, a type of crime via weapon. It, it's so extremely low. It's not worth talking about. Um, someone even mentioned their testimony yesterday, looked to Union Station in Kansas City last week when that parade was cut short and how um, they were able to take down the the perpetrator by just tackling the individual. It wasn't the act of having a weapon. We've seen all time and time again with mass shootings, um, people come in churches and how many times like folks run or in movie theaters, so on and so forth. So this idea that you a vigilante can just pursue um, the perpetrator and take 
take him down because there's a weapon on his side. Nine times out of ten, that does not happen. And so for us, it just doesn't seem like worth the trade-off. It also it also punts the responsibility because it is the legislature's job to create laws to address our crime. It is not their job to take laws off the books that are going to make our crime worse. Again, 877-217-5757. Miriam and Lacombe. Miriam, you are on with Caitlin and Angel. Hi, good morning. I wondered, since there's so much violent crime targeting women and girls, Mm -hmm. do you think the governor and the legislature will do anything about getting even just the DNA database um, uh, backlog addressed? Just for rape, just for rape. I appreciate that question. So of the 24 items on the agenda for the special session on crime, I do not believe that is one of them. There was a bill um, that I believe it was Senator Mizell had yesterday about um, the time in which people can pursue um, uh, like claims or um, allegations around sexual assault, but no mention of actually addressing, you know, backlogs, um, lab systems, crime labs, all of those things. We're not really having those nuanced conversations. It's purely paying defense against these really dangerous perceptions of violence and who is violent um, in our state when that could be anybody. We hear the term law-abiding citizen a lot. You are a law-abiding citizen until you're not, until you have one bad decision or you can't make your bills or your environment has just put so many pressures on you. And so we're not talking about those nuanced conversations um, like what you mentioned. So thank you for your question. Lift it up to your legislators. (laughs) 877-217-5757, your number, Melissa in St. Francisville. You're on with Caitlin Joshua of the community community organizer for the Power Coalition and Angel Bradford of Moms Demand Action. Hi. Hello. I have a, a two part question. Um, the first part being I grew up in the eighties and um, I had access to guns. You know, boys would come to school to go hunting over the weekend with their partners and they had guns in their back window you know and no there were no I won't say no but we never thought about you know some one of those redneck boys taking a gun out of their truck and shooting up the school what has happened since that time and that thought that thought process to now where go to when you're mad at somebody is a gun second part you talk about being 18 on the street and, you know, you can't have a gun. We've got to take a pause, but we will return in just a moment. This is Jim Inkster. You're listening to Talk Louisiana. Robin Dow is our producer and in studio for a little while longer. Two dynamic young people from Baton Rouge who are activists, advocates, uh, Caitlin Joshua and Angel Bradford, and they... Are on the same side, I suspect, on many issues, but uh, they believe this crime session uh, that the governor has called is largely off target. Now, the governor has a different feeling, and I'm sure many people in our state say, look, it's, it's overdue uh, to do something because we do have a violent state. And uh, for those who live in Baton Rouge, as Angel does, or New Orleans, as 
No, but otherwise, Donjell's <laughs> New Orleans and Caitlin's Baton Rouge. We've got uh, particular issues in the two largest states, uh, two largest cities in our state. 877-217-5757. Melissa, I didn't want to cut you short. Please be brief and finish your remarks, and we'll get a response from Caitlin and Angel. I'm not sure where my uh, question fell off, but it was a two-part question. Like I said, in the 80s, we didn't have this problem, and kids came, boys came to school, you know, going hunting with their buddies on Friday, and they had guns in their back window, and not once did anybody go get that gun and, you know, threaten to kill one of their classmates. All right. Well, that's a that's an issue, but the one now would allow unfettered access to any law-abiding citizen who wants to have a concealed carry opportunity. And as we see uh, in Kansas City, you get two guys filled with testosterone, and they have a disagreement, and they start firing at each other in a crowd, and it's not a good outcome. And now their lives are ruined, and people have been killed, and others wounded, and the whole community scarred by two guys who could have settled this in a different way. But what, are you, what is your take to the remarks made by Melissa? I will try to be brief, too. Um, so, first of all, you know, the concealed carry permit um, law passed in 1979. And so crime was actually worse back then than it what than it is now. And so I think the ways in which we talk about crime are really distorted. Our memory, I mean, just human memory is not excellent. Um, it, how we perceive things is very different, but the data does reflect um, that we are, this country as a whole in our state is less violent than it was decades ago. That's one thing. Secondly, when you talk about mass shootings, um, the assault weapons ban expired. I believe that was in the early 2000s. And so now we're in a different environment where you're post-pandemic. People are not making their bills. They're not living in a stable um, environment. In a lot of ways, in, in Louisiana, a lot of us are living on the margins. And then you're adding guns to the equation. And so um, beyond the kind of the era of mass shootings that we've allowed to proliferate in, in the country, um, in Louisiana specifically, we're trying to take, you know, a concealed carry permitting process off the books or the requirement thereof off the books and then give guns to 18 year olds, which we already know from 18 to 25, our boys are not operating with all that they need to, um, to be productive human beings. They can be sweet, but they can also be rash and irresponsible, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of intent, just because you have a right to concealed carry as an 18 year old, should this bill uh, pass does not mean that you should be doing that and does not mean that the science supports that. Frank in South Baton Rouge, Frank, you're on the air. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I like the new voice, Jim. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I was just calling in. I was kind of interested in that comment about Kansas City issue. Uh, I was following that the other day, and it was interesting. Some fellow in Kansas City brought up, sort of talking about seatbelts. I said, seatbelt? What the hell are you talking about? Well, it turns out what he was getting around to is that basically we have liability uh, issues with just about every product that we it's on the marketplace now, except for one, mm-hmm. and that is handguns or guns in general. Well, that's, by the way, not up for discussion during the crime session, but uh, you do have a point that um, uh, guns are extremely dangerous. They can be weapons of self-defense, though, and um, they have some merit, and that's why we have the Second Amendment. But uh, but we have a lobby that is overwhelmingly powerful, and now we have uh, 
administration that's largely pro-gun. So right. is it going to be the Wild Wild West? Wild Wild West, uh, Caitlin? Yeah, I would have to agree. And while he, to, to your point, he does have merit and there is value in trying to make the gun owner accountable to their gun. We've seen year and after year after year, we've tried to bring legislation around safe storage, around requiring um, uh, more accountability for gun owners should they leave them in their cars, leave them in um, the places where kids and teenagers can get it easily or have easy access to it. And so while I do agree it is not up for the crime session, um, it's definitely something that we've been looking to bring with Moms in May Action year after year. Jim. And maybe not and maybe ahead. not specifically that, but like the extreme risk protection order. So, you know, getting guns out of the mm-hmm. hands of people that might want to commit suicide, that sort of thing has really been um, a priority for us, but we that has had no movement. Yeah. Jim on I twelve. Jim, good morning. Good morning, folks. A uh, couple quick things. One of uh, the correct description of the crime session is performative. Yes. But my question is this. Um, if, if we're talking about, and we listened to all about the good guys with guns, um, so people who commit domestic violence, mm-hmm. uh, those would be good guys with guns or bad guys with guns? Well, I think we'd be bad guys with guns, but if a good guy had a gun, maybe the, the bad guy could be stopped. That was the whole idea, but guns are dangerous and sometimes people don't use them properly. And, uh, there is no requirement for training to buy a gun. You have to get training to drive a car, uh, and a gun is arguably more deadly than a car, but there's no training to buy a gun. And the only training that is required is that that is connected to the concealed carry permit process, which they're trying to erode this session. And we will add, like, we know there needs to be a crime session. We need conversations about restorative justice, about investing in communities. Louisianans, like, of all backgrounds, all races, all regions, um, the way that we get talked about in these these committee hearings is really dividing us and saying, like, you know, oh, your district is so different from mine. That is not true. We all grew up with every kind of Louisianan. And so we know that the majority of Louisianans do not want permitless carry. This is something that is a priority for the governor. It's a priority for the extreme side of this legislature. And it's just very unfortunate that our voices are not being respected. Luke and Walker. Luke, you're on with Angel and Caitlin. Uh, hey, how y'all doing? Uh, I just wanted to say that um, I'm excited for these concealed carry restrictions to be lifted. I believe it's an infringement on our Second Amendment right. Um, also, I'd like to say a car is not a right. Having access to firearms is a right. That's why there is a difference in that regard. Well, anyway, we don't have allow access to firearms for people who are convicted felons. We don't allow access to firearms for any number of reasons. It would make perfect sense to allow access, but also to require training. So, Luke, I think you're way off base on that. Caitlin? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, essentially, if we know... Um, data has shown time and time again that folks absolutely need training in order to understand a weapon. Um, and in order to have these restrictions, lifted, a lot of states have looked to being able to keep the barriers in place around training. And so I think that's extremely important. If you can afford um, to you know, have a weapon or multiple weapons, and you can definitely afford a training class um, or a fee associated with getting better training. And I would even call it a barrier. It's just checkpoints. It's just yeah, checkpoints of yeah. you know whether or not you should have a gun. 
it's eight to nine hours of training. It's $125. But when you're talking about a state that also says that they have a law enforcement shortage, when you have a state of emergency around law enforcement, which is what Jeff Landry has said is, is happening right now, then who do you expect to respond to this increased violence? Because it's going to happen. And you can't divorce the Second Amendment conversation from context. And the reality is Louisiana, we have, Louisiana has a ton of teenagers we do not need with these guns, whether or not it would be you know legal should this pass so yeah well and in louisiana if you're a law-abiding citizen you can wear a gun on your person mm -hmm. you, can. you can go out with a high-powered uh, assault weapon and just walk the streets if you want to that's within the boundary of the law uh, let's go to uh david in atlanta david you're on with caitlin and and angel hi david uh good morning everyone the Second Amendment is not absolute. The preamble to the United States Constitution says the government has the right to promote the general welfare. The, the general welfare is not being promoted when any Joe Lunchbox could conceal and carry. I'll give you one or two examples. In Atlanta some years ago, a couple was going to a Falcons game. They stepped in front of someone at a subway. They were both shot and killed. Um, a lady at uh, Galatoire's in New Orleans had an automatic in her purse. She dropped it. All right, hold on, David, if you will, and we'll return after the break. This is Jim Inkster, and you are listening to Talk Louisiana. In studio for a few more minutes, Angel Bradford and Caitlin Joshua, the dynamic twins from Woodlawn High in Baton Rouge by way of <laughs> The Ohio State University, Southern University. They're both well Educated to say the least, you're about to get your PhD, aren't yes. you? Yes, yeah, I am. In what? Cardiovascular physiology and medicine. So you're going to be a doctor? Uh, I well, mean, a yes, doctor, 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 but not a physician. I will not be a practicing physician. Okay, but mm -hmm. you will be Dr. Angel Bradford next time you're but on you the show. But you can still probably. call me Jill, yeah, okay. and it's fine. <laughs> All right, and Caitlin, you've conquered the world. Mm, while having two children. Two children, yes. Power Coalition, how's it doing? Oh, it's doing great. It's doing wonderful. I, this is literally my first week back at work after six months maternity leave, so it's been good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're with us. And they are uh, not in accord with um, a slew of bills up for discussion. Is there anything you like about the crime session? Probably not one. I mean, the only one was just filed, Senate Bill 14 by Senator Carter, which is um, like an extreme... It's. Um, Germane to the permitless carry bill because it addresses um, extreme risk protection. So like, you know, um, getting guns out of the hands or preventing guns from being in the hands of people who might be a danger to themselves or others. Um, there might have been one more by Edmund Jordan. I didn't read it. But other than that, I just my comments have been I hate all of this. So, yeah. <laughs> well, um, tomorrow the governor will make his case. And um, there are a few items that I, um, I think are worthy of consideration, but um, obviously he is, quote, tough on crime, and um, that's a tricky proposition, and most of these tough on crime matters cost money, too, yeah. and so we're going to find out whether they'll break the bank, and that was one of the reasons why John Bell Edwards uh, allowed these nonviolent offenders to get out, it's because they were costing the state a lot of money, Definitely. and I remember it was James Gill who died overnight who wrote that 50 people in Louisiana a decade ago were in jail for life for marijuana possession because it was their third offense. Mm, yeah. And that's not right. 877-217-5757. We were on with David in Atlanta, who was uh, in full bloom when we had to go to the break. David, I didn't want to cut you short. Oh, that, that's kind of you. 
in Israel, to purchase a firearm, if you, if you never served in the military, you have to be a minimum of 28 years of mm. age. So we need more protection about any Joe lunchbox carrying a concealed weapon. <laughs> Well, yeah. thank you, David. Yeah. Agreed. And we know that in states that have passed permitless carry, we have seen anywhere from 8 to 22% or more increase in violent crime. Granted, different factors um, are, are piled into that percentage. But just the fact that permitless carry contribute, can potentially contribute to any increase in violent crime in Louisiana, the second most violent state, it's something we really don't need. Chuck and Scott. Chuck, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my concern is that uh, these special sessions cost a lot of money in, in and of themselves. And with his uh, bent for cutting taxes, how are we going to pay for these things? Are we going to be repeating the Jindal era where we just hack our colleges to death? Well, lawmakers and governors have very little option when money is tight. They either have to go to health care or higher ed. Right. And so, yeah, if, if it comes to that, but hopefully the economy will be thriving and people will be paying taxes and we won't have to do that. And if we have a safer place, so the economy might be thriving even more. And I think both our guests, Caitlin and Angel and the governor, they want Louisiana to be a safer, more robust place. It's just a question of how to get there. And you believe the uh, governor's off target. Absolutely. I do believe the government's off, off target. One, I do. I would be remiss if I didn't say I do understand we do have a quote-unquote crime problem in the state of Louisiana. We absolutely have to address it. But I also know there have been a host of programs and local governments across the state of Louisiana that have been committed and dedicated to a addressing it with holistic approaches, going after root causes that drive poverty, that um, drive inconsistencies in housing and education. And those are the factors that we are going to see plays the long game and plays into the long term of addressing violence. It's not going to be locking them up sooner, longer, and also allowing for more access to weapons. And at younger ages, I don't... And I will say, I don't fully understand the governor nor the Republican um, um, side of the legislature's uh, end game. I don't understand it. We bring data to the table. We bring facts to the table. You have to suspend disbelief to actually validate their arguments. And so they're so grounded in rhetoric and not reflective of what the average Louisiana wants that I don't know if we want the same end game, quite frankly. All right. Phil and Jefferson Terrace, please be brief, Phil. Hi, Phil. All right, let's go to Carol in Jefferson Terrace. Uh, Carol, you're on with Caitlin and Angel. Yes, it's always great to hear from you girls, and I just want to know, uh, <laughs> what is it going to take to get y'all on my ballot come November? <laughs> <laughs> you plan on running for well, office? I need to get a job so I can afford to run for office. <laughs> and, and my husband probably say no. But but I appreciate the compliment. And we're, we're no matter if we're on the ballot or not, we're always going to continue to work for a better Louisiana, a safer Louisiana, as Jim said. Yeah. Henry at the Country Club of Louisiana. Henry, you're on with our guests. Hello, Mr. Jim, and hello, guests. I have one question. Have any of y'all ever taken the classes currently required for concealed handgun permits? Um, so some of our volunteers with Moms Demand Action have taken it. Um, and I know it's eight to nine hours. I know what it includes, including, you know, whether or not when you interface with an officer, you tell them that you're carrying, et cetera. So go ahead with your question. Oh, and I will say thanks to my father-in-law, I have taken the class. Well, I'm, I'm glad because you know then as well as I do, because I've taken the course myself, 
you go to that course and it seems like about a third of the people, a third to a fourth of the people have zero knowledge of guns, gun safety or anything like that. And I think that speaks volumes about the need for having these safety courses and as an extension of background check. Thank you all very much. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Henry. Uh, Robin, I think we got time for one more call for Angel Bradford and I her dynamic twin, Caitlin Joshua. Stuart downtown. Stuart, you're on the air. Good morning. Why, thank you, Jim, uh, to your dyna- dynamic du- duo and audience. Good morning. Uh, ladies, it's quite refreshing to listen to your very um, articulate argument. Um, I think this governor is just a, a typical backwood Yahoo, good old Cajun redneck who just wants to take things back to the, the quote, good old days. Uh, and this is not addressing the root of the matter at all. Many of these children or people who engage in violence have not been taught proper anger management. Uh, they, they, they have very little to no respect for formal knowledge. They're not validated by education and uh, respect for society at large and uh, trying to get a, a, a decent job and things of that nature. So until our school system educates these people and motivates them uh, with these values, this stuff is not going to change. Um, he's pandering to um, good old Yahoo base who love guns and what have you. And how do you feel about this? Well, I will say um, I love my Cajun people out in New Iberia and Opelousas and Lafayette. Yeah, I don't and, think every Cajun's right? a redneck. <laughs> and, and I know what you meant. I just want to like emphasize over and over that like I feel connected to community everywhere I go in Louisiana. Like there is so much love in our state, which is why I think that's the one thing we stick around. Not because the politicians make it easy to be here, um, but I think that. Um, Yes, education is something we need to work on. Root causes is something we need to work on. And that is why it's just, you know, it goes back to the folks that we have in office reflecting those values and and really legislating around those values. We have a social contract that we have to invest in. And that also includes investing in public schools. You know, we live, our kids have very divided um, public, well, school system in general, uh, nationwide and statewide. And we have to realize that by having our kids in different schools, in different neighborhoods, in different environments, and not connecting them, we're not designing a social contract that all of us can even adhere to so that they understand what respect is, so that they learn conflict management, which I push back on a little bit just because I don't know a teenager of Mm -hmm. any generation that had a lot of conflict resolution capabilities, but giving them a gun is not the answer. And then some of these other policies, such as the death penalty, does not reflect regard for life. It's just damaging and dangerous. And I want to quickly lift up um, to our caller. We still have legislative session coming up regardless, right? So that will be a real opportunity to really try and implement and get through some of these really good bills that do speak to those issues around education and some of the like preliminary things that we can do to address violence, not waiting till afterwards. Um, last thing I'll say, Jim, is just that um, you have to also recognize that all of these bills are an effort to get to something. And I think we're all working to figure out what that is that the Republican Party and uh, Governor Landry are putting forth because they're eroding systems, they're eroding agencies, they're eroding norms. And then they're saying, oh, wait, there's chaos. So we've got to hold them accountable to the fact that they are eroding the, va- the very things we need to define that social contract that you're talking about. All right. Robin says uh, one more. Trish and Grand Coteau. Trish, please be concise. You're on with Angel and Caitlin. Good morning. Um, I am struck by the juxtaposition of 
allowing concealed carry, which would enable <coughs> people to commit serious crimes, which might need the death penalty. Mm. At the same time, they are advocating to increase the ways in which the death penalty can be administered. Mm. I find that, I don't know what the right word is. Well, some would say it's inconsistent to uh, be pro-life on the front end and not the back end. And others would say, look, if you're in favor of abortion rights, you should be in favor of the death penalty. So I don't think we're going to resolve that today. But uh, it's great to see Caitlin and Angel together for the first time in studio. And uh, they'll be out conquering the world for years to come. And I'm, I'm fascinated the dynamic between the two of you. It's like you know what each other is thinking. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. So I bet when you went off to the Ohio State University and left your sister behind, that you're 15 minutes older, is that I'm right? I'm 15 minutes. It's a world of a difference. Yeah, I, be, I, bet, I bet that was real tough for both of you, wasn't Extremely. it? Extremely, yeah. But yeah. we spent way too much money on flights, so it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you're fighting for a cause, as is the governor, and, mm-hmm. um, and the governor is a bold man. He's a guy who's not resting on his laurels. He won without a runoff, and he's got a crime session. He's probably going to get most, if not all, that he wants, and he'll make his case on why he believes it's the right thing to do tomorrow on our show if everything goes according to plan. We'll return with Cicely Holland after this time out on Talk Louisiana. This is Jim Inkster, and you are listening to Talk Louisiana. In a few minutes, we will hear from a remarkable writer, Leslie Ann Noel, who is uh, a person who spent a lot of quality time in Louisiana. And her book is one that uh, is one that is thought-provoking. That's why she's on our show in a few moments. Uh, design social change, take action, work toward equity, and challenge the status quo. But before we get there, I did want to bring in Cicely Holland, who is involved with Valentina Wilson in a Shades of Success calendar for the second year in a row that honors Louisiana-connected women of color. And there will be a major gala on Saturday night at uh, Drusilla Seafood, 3482 Drusilla Lane. And good morning to you, Cicely. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. And uh, I know last year you got a great response, and you're back for round two, and you're one of those in the calendar uh, you're a project analyst and marketing director, and these are women uh, of color who have achieved a lot in their young lives, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I would also like to add, Jim, we're very pleased to have Women's Hospital as our gold banquet sponsor for this year's banquet. Well, very good. And uh, how do you make the cut? You did 12 a year ago. It's a calendar and uh, 12 this year. How does that happen? So an individual would need to go to the website, theshadesofsuccess.net, and they apply. They submit an application. They submit their resume, a brief biography. The committee, which consists of Valentina and videographer Bernardo Woods, they review the application. And then they decide on the individual who make the cut for the calendar. But as you, I'm pretty sure you can imagine, it's not an easy task because there's so many qualified ladies who are eligible to be in this calendar and have achieved so many accomplishments. And I would imagine you'll continue to do it year after year. But in addition to being featured in the 2024 calendar, the women 
as mentioned, will be honored Saturday. A listener has already asked, uh, is it uh, available for the public to attend? Yes, yes. Listeners can attend the banquet. They need to go to the website, theshadesofsuccess.net, click on the store link to purchase a banquet ticket. The banquet is Saturday, February 24th, 6 p.m. at Drew Silla's. And all they need to, they need to wear a semi-formal or formal attire, and we gladly welcome them to attend the banquet. Well, good luck, and thanks for joining us, Cicely Holland, who is one of the 12 women who is appropriately honored. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jim. My pleasure. And now we're joined by Dr. Leslie Ann Noel, distinguished designer, researcher, and educator. She specializes in design for social change, and as a co-editor of the Black Experience in Design and an assistant professor in the Department of Media Arts, Design, and Technology at North Carolina State, Dr. Noel is deeply committed to leveraging her knowledge to drive impactful change, and that's what prompted her book, which uh, she is here to talk about, Design Social Change. Good morning. Good morning, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. And before we get started, I mentioned you have a a, a pass that includes a, a stop in Louisiana. Yes, actually, I lived for two years in New Orleans, so I am very connected to, to Louisiana. Actually, I'd even say that some of my interest in social change really was I was able to deepen that interest while I was in Louisiana because of the work that I did while I was at Tulane University and working with people in the New Orleans community. You obviously uh, have a history abroad. Uh, I think uh, your your two degrees, master's and bachelor's, are from universities outside the United States, right? Yes, yes. So I did undergrad um, at the Universidade Federal do Paraná in Brazil, and then I did my master's degree at the University of the West Indies in Trinidad, where I'm from. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. Well, uh, Dr. Noel, can you provide a few examples of common mistakes made when people working to create social change uh, perhaps fall short of their goal? So I'd say one mistake that people might have is that they may forget the impact that they can make with other people. So, you know, one mistake is that people often work by themselves and forget that actually community um, carries us forward, you know, and we need a lot of people to make change together with us. Uh, Another mistake, I think, is that people actually, a lot of people think that they have less power than they really have and they maybe think that they can't do anything, they can't make change. So they just leave things to continue the way that they they are, when actually all of us have some power and agency to change the world. So that's what I was thinking about in this book. You know, like if we all think about change as something that we can design, we can choose one thing, act on it, make it, make some change, and then choose another thing, make some change. So I think... Thinking that you can't achieve anything and that you're powerless, not doing anything um, at all, not getting to the root of an issue and focusing on superficial manifestations of the issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are some some issues that um, mistakes that people make when working to create social change. We're visiting with Dr. Leslie Ann Noel, who taught at Tulane at Stanford and now 
He is at North Carolina State in the great city of Raleigh. Her book is Design Social Change, Take Action, Work Toward Equity, and Challenge the Status Quo. So can you describe some of the ways that you would propose to send uh, send us to issues that perhaps would uh, make the world a better place? Well, I encourage people to understand the world better and identify where change is needed. Because, you know, a lot of us might think that the the world is kind of fixed. It is what it is. But really, it's up to us to question the world around us and to try to see where uh, the world could be better. You know, so I also encourage people to imagine better and fairer futures for everybody and then we design the way and the path towards them. And then one other thing that I ask people to do, actually early on in the book, is I ask people to reflect on who they are and their identities, because we are all part of the design equation. So the change that I want to make will be different to the change that you want to make. So I have to actually know myself, uh, then know the world around me, and then imagine a better world for the people around me. And that's, uh, these are some of the big ideas uh, that we're trying to get people to get to use to get to change. You write that we should deepen our emotional intelligence by understanding and learning to read the emotions of others. Uh, how do we do that? It's, it's actually pretty difficult, but it requires us to, you know, stop and pay attention, learn to listen, learn to see, uh, learn to not be afraid of, of the emotions that people express because all of these emotions tell us where change is needed. So like anger is one that I've actually devoted a lot of time in the book to. Uh, you know, people are taught to be afraid of angry people or to, you know, complain about other people's anger. But actually, their anger could be telling us um, really vital messages about where uh, something needs to change in the world. So, you know, in um, New Orleans, there might be an issue about, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to call an issue roads. And the anger tells us that um, this road needs to be changed or the school needs to, you know, some intervention needs to happen at the school. Or, so, you know... Th- Deepening our emotional intelligence helps us to understand the issues that are important to people more. So anger is one, and then the other one is joy. You know, what are the issues that really make people happy and joyful? Um, and how can we sustain people's joy and happiness in in the work that we are doing in general? So, you know, that's what I mean when I say that we have to... Uh, lean into deepen our emotional intelligence so that we could learn to understand the emotions of others and try to figure out how we could weave these emotions into the work that we're doing as change makers. The book from Dr. Leslie Ann Noel is Design Social Change, Take Action, Work Toward Equity, and Challenge the Status Quo. We thank you for joining us today, but a listener Uh, asks, uh, how did you like, since you uh, are a person of the world, how did you like living in New Orleans? I love New Orleans. Uh, The food, the music. Uh, I actually rode a bicycle when I was in New Orleans because it's it's flat and it's nice to ride around. Um, So I have fond memories of riding around St. Charles, riding Mm -hmm. along 
the the river. Um, I miss New Orleans, and I'm actually going to be back there in a few weeks. So um, it, it's a place that's always in my heart. Well, it is a place that reaches out and grabs you, and uh, people who live here never forget it, do they? No, they, I'm sure that they don't. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Leslie Ann Noel, and congrats on your book, Designing Social <laughs> Change. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jim, and a great day to all of your listeners. Thank you. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And as mentioned, uh, the governor, as of now, now he's a busy man and you never know what's going to happen. But as of now, he says he will be in studio in 23 hours. So we look forward to visiting with Governor Jeffrey Martin Landry and we give him credit. Uh, he, um, I, I'd like for him to do a monthly radio show. We'll see if that happens. But I think he will be with us on this show every now and then if he does not do that. And previous governors opted out, like Bobby Jindal. I never heard much from him after he got elected, but Jeff Martin, Jeffrey Martin Landry will be here. Until then, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned.